So for all those, oh, ah, for all of you who didn't come out live, I just did a little setup about what I've been doing in this new place and how things are going, uh, why the Patreon's got more content, why I'm feeling a little bit more secure about that kind of thing, and what have you. And at the end of the day, it mostly comes down to uh, I've been trying to treat my, my physical body a lot better. I've been trying to eat better. I've been trying to uh, sleep better. I've been trying to rest it up and in, in all ways just... Um, well, at the end of the day, just try and, and physiologically get as god damn in sexy shape as I could. Um, as I could and can, because I'm still it's still a progress. So what this means is that I've been taking my stretches very, very seriously, my balance very, very seriously, my, my weight training and cardio and all that, uh, much more seriously than I had previously. Uh, very happy with the results, very happy with what it's doing to my voice and all the rest. And in the room that I record in, uh, it's hardwood floors, and it's also a bit of a carpet, bit of a barrier blanket situation where I exercise on top of these carpets and blankets in various stretches. But I push myself against the hard floor. And it's all very basic. It's all very, very simple stuff. It's nothing that would look good in, like, the introduction of a movie or something. But... I love my stretches, and I get into them. Kitty loves the stretches. She comes and she flops in front of me, and she gets lots of pets and lovings during certain ones of them. Uh, She loves when she knows that I'm about to stretch. She knows my routine, and she gets all prepared for it, and I enjoy pretty much every part of it. This is a story about the best fucking sensation I've ever fucking had in my life, and it just happened in the last 10 days. I would trade... Virtually every orgasm I've ever had for the feeling that I had doing these stretches. I'm going to describe as best as I can, because it's a very simple stretch, what happened. All my life, I have been ill-balanced, and I had to wear like special shoes in my youth at certain points, and, and people said walk a certain way, and I couldn't. Uh, my parents and, and peers made fun of me for how I walked, and... and uh, uh, even, like, the most gentle and sweet, like, gals and girlfriends that I saw were like, your walk is so fucked up. Uh, very sensitive about it my whole life. And I just kind of thought it was always going to be that way. I just always going to have this kind of weird walk that I could never explain. Because, I mean, it's not like doctors didn't take x-rays of me and I didn't try and improve it. I just couldn't. Um, it sounds like a weird segue, I know. So as I've been losing weight, as uh, I got the medication last June... Uh, that really kind of changed everything around, that just made everything quite a bit easier for me to focus and and get things done. Uh, Since then, my body's been shifting and moving and my balance has been getting better. And I've noticed it in times, but of course it's peaks and valleys, and sometimes you think you're imagining something and sometimes you just want to see something that's not there. And and I kind of felt like it was that. Other times in this new place, because it's got a gas range and I actually stand over my stove when I'm cooking my food, often high as a fucking kite, with my headphones in and what have you, sometimes with my socks on or my slippers on, on in the kitchen it's got tile and then not hardwood, and I'll just slide and I'll just dance and sway as I'm, the food's cooking and I'm listening to my music or my podcast. And my entire body feels so light and easy, and I'll literally move in entire full circles. And it probably looks very strange from the outside. 
But it feels quite good. Nobody else is there, so who fucking cares what it looks like, right? Dance like nobody's watching. So I dance. I dance as I cook up my oatmeal. Or I dance as I cook up my potatoes. And it, I've never done it before in my life because it never felt good to move. But these movements and the shifts in my form and the doctor saying that everything is getting real better for a while now, but real rapidly in the last, uh, last six months, and me feeling it as well to the point that I don't really feel like I need their counsel that much on this particular issue going forward for much longer. Um, <clears throat> all of that's to say that the stretches have been getting more intense and I've been focusing more on them. And occasionally I would find myself moving my right shoulder in such a way that it would pop and it would crack. And it would be a loud pop and crack to the point that it would disturb my cat, but I would feel no pain or discomfort. In fact, everything would feel quite good. And everything would feel like, oh, it was always supposed to be there. It was just a little bit, a little bit out of whack, a little bit out of function. During one of the stretches where I have to sit on my ass, that sounds very odd because you're saying, well, you always sit on your ass. No, where you actually flex the bottom of your glutes so that you sort of lift off the ground a little bit so that you're actually on your ass and not this, you know, your ass is a part of the ground. When I was doing that with my legs all the way out, my knees extended, my arms all the way to my side and 90 degrees to my legs, I felt a kind of shaking and a kind of heat in the lower right portion of my thigh. And as I continued the stretch, it continued. The shaking and the heat, my entire right leg, and eventually my left shoulder as well, the back of my left shoulder as well, started just shaking as I held it. I'm supposed to hold it for a count, and I'm just trying to hold it for that. Nothing else. And I'm wondering what the sensation is, but I don't know. And then all of the sudden, and I mean all of a sudden, the shaking stops, and immediately I feel a part of my left shoulder move up and a part of my right hip move back in exact conjunction. They both snap together. And the feeling that was sent through every bone in my body. I am not in any way exaggerating when I, I'm not embarrassed about this either. Not only did I pee a little when this is happening, but as I peed a little, I was like, I'm being a little, because it felt so good, and I went, And I didn't want to make a noise at all, at all. But it was like coming out of me like my stomach was getting pushed, like two hands were pushing on my stomach and the air had to come out like a death rattle, except I was alive. And it was just this shocking feeling. And then I fall over onto my side, onto my arm. I literally collapse because of how intense the feeling is. I literally just... And fall over onto my side. So I'm curled up on my side a little bit. On my right arm. Just laying there. With my head fully against. Not the carpet or the barrier blanket. But against the hardwood floor. I'm just laying there. 
feeling the coolness of it because it's very early in the day, so the cold is very, the floor is very cold. The cat has run the fuck away as far as she can escape, right? So I'm in this position. I'm in my late 30s. I'm approaching fucking 40. I'm approaching my fucking 40s. I'm, I'm on the ground in essentially a fetal position on my arm, head lower than my body, torso, head against the ground, having just peed a little bit. And I just start laughing, laughing, laughing like <laughs> not like something's funny or something's good but like <laughs> like that and i'm like stop laughing you idiot and i'm like <laughs> and i can't and I'm laughing, and I'm actually just slightly hurting myself because I'm now laughing at me laughing and not being able to... I'm totally sober in this story, by the way. I don't smoke before I stretch. After this, I'm going to have to start. I'm totally sober at this fucking point, by the way. Totally stone-cold fucking sober. And I'm now laughing at my laughing. And the laughing at my laughing because I can't stop is now causing my head to shake a little bit against the floor so there's kind of like a little squeegee noise happening and i'm it's not like pain but i'm like i'm hurting myself a little like i can feel that is i'm like stop laughing you're hurting yourself now and that's making me laugh harder the cat comes and checks on me some indiscriminate amount of time later i get up i make breakfast and since then everything has felt a little bit okay since then I felt just a little bit more business-oriented. Since then, I felt more balanced. Since then, foods tasted. Like, I've talked about this, you know, before. There's been a couple of different points in this process where something happened, and then afterwards, everything was better. Something happened, and then afterwards, everything was better. Everything in my life was just a little bit better. And this is just, as far as I can tell, it's been a little, it's been a little while now, one of those days. So... Whatever was going on there, whatever every doctor and chiropractor and all the rest of them missed, that was just such an amazing feeling. And it was so validating. It really, in it, all the times I said to an authority figure, hey man, something's not right with me, there's just now so much evidence that they should have just shut up and listened. And that feels really great in its own way, too. <sighs> All right. Okay. Good story. Okay. Next story. Flipped off a homeless man. Okay. Everybody feeling good? Good. All right. All right. <clears throat> Next story. Flipped off a homeless man. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. There's a parentheses here. That really... See, I need to read the whole title all at once because with the parentheses are going to explain context. And you're thinking I'm the bad guy right now. But the parentheses will make sure that it's clear that you know who the bad guy actually is. So let's go with the story again. I'm sorry, one more time. <clears throat> Flipped off a homeless guy. Parentheses. At Christmas. Close parentheses. Okay, so. <laughs> There's two kinds of homeless people. 
that you'll find on the street. People who are actually fucking homeless. And people who are just mostly fucking homeless. And I in no way wish to play a game as to which of the two is which. I don't know. I don't care. I don't carry cash. I don't have an issue with the homeless. I was the homeless at one point in my life. I was the homeless at another point in my life after that point in my life. And I understand their pain very much. Okay? I get it. I do. I do. I've been there. I've been a vagabond. And I've lost everything more than once. I get you. This particular Ted... Ted fucking... Bundy-looking motherfucker... I'm sorry, Ted Krasinski, mother-looking motherfucker, uh, standing on the median of a road, of a street, of a busy intersection, is doing his thing. And I don't blame him. I largely see homeless as the same as busking. In fact, I usually find the homeless less annoying than buskers because I've never met a homeless person with either a typewriter or an accordion. So, Until the day comes, I think the homeless are actually less annoying than buskers. But much like buskers, I don't pay them. That's not what I want society to contribute to, so I'm not going to give money to either cause. I'm all for street people, but they have to be more entertaining, and they can't offer me crafts and services. That's all. I'll give you an example. I gave money to a homeless wizard once. He had a star robe. He had a pointed hat. He said, I'm a wizard. I asked him if he was really a wizard, and he said, I'm a wizard. So I gave him a doll. That was more valuable to me than literally any time I've been to a European city And somebody in a painted face has run up to me to engage me in performance art. So, I don't want it to be thought that I am an enemy of the homeless. That I think vagrants are inherently bad people. I don't. I really don't. Just this one. Of the rather 300 or some homeless people that I saw in the year 2019, I flipped off one out of 300 of them. I'm hoping that that gives me a little bit of credence. That is to say, approximately every day, obviously, the homeless take Sundays off, I saw a homeless person. And in all of those interactions with them, I raised my middle finger exactly once. One time did I flip off a homeless person in 2019. To take it a step further in my own defense, I don't know exactly how many homeless people I saw in 2018, but I do know how many middle fingers I flew at them. The answer would be zero. I flipped off zero homeless people the year before. I'm pretty sure 2017 and 2016 look similar. I can't show you the tax returns right now, senators. What I'm trying to say is I've met a lot of homeless people. I've only ever flipped one off and punched two, and all three had it coming. So, I'm sorry, what? 
I can't, I can't, you're asking about another story, but I can't hear you, so we're going to keep talking about the flipping them off. So, I can't hear you, I'm sorry. So, <clears throat> be me. Be out on December around the 20th. And have trouble eating a large portion of American fast food, both because it does not please your kingly palate, and because your stomach's a little bit fuzzy, and because you're just really kind of choosy. So I decide, you know what I'm going to do when I'm doing all these errands in December anyway? I'm going to get a treat. I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A. I'm going to drive all the way up. It's pretty far from where I'm at right now. But I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A. I haven't had it in a couple of weeks. It's, it's, it's a treat. I've been out. Uh, I've already been driving all around. Let's go get it. And because I decided to do something nice for myself, I knew that I would be punished. That's just how it works, though. That's just the covenant. I knew the curse. I get to have sex with women and jerk off and make money from it. That's one side of the deal. If I want to go after something, the devil gets to destroy me for it. That's the other side of the deal. So I knew if I was going to go for Chick-fil-A that there was going to be complications, all right? And as I did, I kind of felt in my heart, oh, don't do this. Sometimes in my heart, I'll be like, ooh, you should do that. And then my heart will be like, no. No. Not because my heart doesn't want it, because my heart knows the future, and has seen the bad things that will happen. But I'm like, shut up, heart. I want to I fill you with grease. So I drove to Chick-fil-A. And I see the man that I will be flipping off from behind at the intersection with his wild care, and he's holding a sign, and I see him waving. And I think absolutely nothing of him, because there's a homeless person in front of me that I'm way too busy ignoring. The homeless person in front of me is completely normal, but it's December 20th, and he's all like, it's Christmas bonus time, it's Christmas bonus time, so he doesn't exist. <laughs> I drive into Chick-fil-A, I wish them happy holidays, because they're, they've, they've got gainful employment, as far as I can tell. <laughs> I get my order. I'm now coming the opposite direction through the same intersection, and I know that I'm going to see the Unabomber. But I don't think anything of it, because he seems like a nice enough guy from behind. You know, have you ever been that way? You ever seen somebody from behind and not want to punch them, but then you see their face and all of a sudden you do? It's one of those situations. So now I'm in line to turn, and I'm... Uh, I don't know, third or fourth car. It's a turn-only lane, and we've all got our blinkers on. And what this guy is doing is literally just staring down every car. It's a slow light. It's about a 90-second light. He's literally coming up to every single window one by one, leaning down, putting a big smile on his face, and unblinkingly looking at them until they hand over money. Yeah. Now, there's a young... I, there's none of the cars are tilt, tinted in front of me, so I can see exactly what's happening. And he's kind of a... He's about six feet tall. And I see a rather nervous, what looks to me like a rather hurried, rather nervous, 
purse opening up frantic, put the dollar out the window uh, from exchange. I see the second guy not really give him anything. And he's legitimately, of all the homeless people I've ever seen, he's just straight leaning forward. He's just straight leaning forward with like hard eyes and this big fake fucking smile. And again, tall dude, big dude. Yeah, we're in cars, but these are, like, he's not intimidating the men who are, I'm just being frank with you. He's not really going after the men, nor is he having success if he would. But he had a lot of success with the woman who was first to turn and the woman who was third. I'm fourth. Yeah. So I see him going towards the third woman, and she's not biting. She puts both hands on the wheel. She's white-knuckling a little bit. She's looking, like, right over the wheel. Right? And so I just kind of like, I just kind of tap my window because, again, I'm, I'm only like 15, 20 feet or I'm, you know, whatever a car is, 15, 20 feet behind her. I'm, it's car to car, right? It's not bumper to bumper, but we're, we're all turning. So I'm right behind. So I, I don't know if you can hear that. I'm knocking just a little bit on my window to get his attention. And he, of course, looks up and he comes over and I'm like, I, you know, I've got my wall. I'm in, I'm in sweatpants because I'm doing errands for Chris. It's, it's, you know, Jesus Christ. So sweatpants season, right? So I've got sweatpants, so I know exactly where my fucking wallet is, and I just pull that out real easy. I ah, I pull out my wallet, and he comes over to me, and I push my window button down, and he comes over to me, and then I open up my wallet, and I show him that there's no cash in there, and then I fling it onto the passenger seat, and when he's all like ah, I literally just raise my middle finger at him. There's nobody behind me. I let the three people in front of me turn. I then idle my car to the first position following him with my middle finger fucking raised all the way there. And then I wait until he breaks eye contact with me and I say, Merry fucking Christmas and make my turn. That is a true story. That is a 100% true story that happened a few days before Christmas. Here's why I'm telling you this story now. I told this story to my therapist this week. He didn't have the same reaction that you guys are having. My therapist this week didn't have the same reaction you guys are having at all. At all. <laughs> We had a very different conversation about what I did there. <laughs> My old shrink? There was an old shrink who would have been like, way to go! That's awesome! Holy shit, what'd he do? This shrink was not like that at all. This shrink was like, wow, wow. How much bad karma do you think you generated there? I thought you were trying... My new shrink 100% gets on board with my delusions. Which is fantastic. So this is, this is an ongoing thing. Every time I flip somebody off in traffic, Dick Cheney doesn't die. Right? And so my therapist actually asked me this because I've made a deal with God that if I don't flip anybody off in traffic for one year and I work from home and I still haven't managed it yet, that he will kill Dick Cheney. He will call Dick Cheney and bring him back to the abyss from which he was formed. And so I had to like 
sit in my therapist office, and I had to really think. Like, my therapist went to the Dick Cheney button. He knows how much I hate Dick Cheney. That's a heavy fucking stick slash carrot. He knows it. So I'm really sitting there, like, contemplating, like, this is a deep philosophical question. Was pissing off this homeless person worth the death of Dick Cheney? Am I, what are my values? Am I living them or am I believing them? And I thought about, like, I had to close my eyes. I really had to, like, evaluate it. And I looked, you know, I thought about it. I opened my eyes. I looked at that shrink and I went, hey, that doesn't fucking count. He wasn't in traffic. He was a fucking vagrant. What the fuck is wrong with you? I can flip off homeless people all the time. What's between me and God is between me and God. Fuck you, holy man. You don't fucking know shit. Me and God have our covenant. You and I have ours. I pay him in faith. I pay you in money per hour. You make me more sane so I can kill Dick Cheney. Make me more sane so I can kill Dick Cheney, bastard. Make me more sane so I can kill Dick Cheney. <laughs> All right, that was the written piece for the evening. Tip me, pay me. <laughs> it only takes a couple of minutes to perform, but my God, it takes all day to fucking write. Oh, Woo. flipping off a homeless man. A true story. <laughs> I, lo- I lost my shit. When I saw the mom, like, trying to be, like, a good mom grabbing the purse from that distance. You know, I'm three cars distance back or whatever it is. So I'm not seeing things clearly. I'm seeing a frantic silhouette. I was like, uh, 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 uh. Of everybody's having a great night. I know that I am. Would anybody like to do some quick quotes? The last time we tried to do some quick quotes, it sounds oh the quick quotes. Some quick quotes. It sounds like it hasn't done well. Let's do some quick quotes. Arya, would you be so kind as to give everybody an example on how to request something? And then I'll be happy to read your quick quotes today. Very good. If you are here live, all the incentive for you girls listening at home to come out live every Friday, 10 p.m. Eastern, unless otherwise stated. You come out live, you tell me what you want me to say, I say it for you free of charge. My way of saying thank you so much for being a part of the Great Night Experience, being a part of the live shows, all the rest. I fucking love these live shows, and one of the most fun things about them is we're waiting for quick quotes to queue up. Boy, that was fun to say fast. One of my favorite things about it is that no matter how I've experimented with the format or what I've done with it, you guys have been so encouraging, and we've got to a point where it just feels so good. Whether I'm coming out with nothing or I've got some written uh, thing to perform, uh, it legitimately, it feels like we've got a real vibe going. It feels like we have a, I, I know, vi- I guess vibe is a slang word meaning I agree right now, which doesn't make any sense to me, but I, uh, I feel like we have a real connection. I feel connected to the audience. I feel very confident. Hopefully you can tell. I did not used to feel confident at all. It's so funny to me. It was only August of 2016 that I had to do my first one of these. And I was so nervous, I had to get high. 
And now I just do it anyway. Now I just do it. I had to get high back then. Now I just do it. It was so scary. And you guys have been so encouraging and so gentle. You've, you've brought me out of my shell. I can't begin to tell you how much I enjoy it. Thank you very, very much. Okay, let's read a couple here. <clears throat> Baby girl. <laughs> Damn, sweetheart, you did an amazing job today. Come snuggle with me, baby girl. Daddy will make you feel all better. Come here and relax in my arms, baby girl. Turn around and let me smack that ass, baby girl. <laughs> Give daddy a kiss, baby girl. I already showed you that you can't outsmart me. Stop trying. Is there something you'd like me to do? Think carefully. There's no rush. Hello, Felicia. All right, you. Baby girl Sierra. Hey, darling, come to me and let me take care of you. <laughs> well, those were some various. Did everybody have a hard week? Did everybody have a hard week? It sounds like everybody had a hard week. Oh, babies. I'm sorry, it was a rough one. Why was it a rough one for all you girls? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. What are we going to do about that if all the babies are having a hard, hard time, huh? Mm -mm -mm. Well, from all the requests I'm gathering, that was very, very difficult. So just here's a little off-the-top little flash ASMR. <clears throat> Baby, I'm so sorry that this week was rough. You deserve better, and I think next week will be. So stay in it, okay? You're important to me. And I know, I know you're going to get through it. So stay strong, okay? Good girl. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Linda, I like you so much, but I'm afraid I, I'm going to have to call that one as on the other side of the ASMR attempt. Apologies, we'll just have to save it for another time. I hope you understand. <laughs> just tonally speaking, it would be a little bit of a switch. It'd be like if I started doing what if a ghost saw another ghost on the street, like all of a sudden now. It'd be a little weird, so... Instead, I think we should transition into poetry. We've got a lot of great poems. Thank you to everybody who suggested one. And here we go. <clears throat> 
How neatly a cat sleeps, sleeps with its paws and its posture, sleeps with its wicked claws and with its unfeeling blood, sleeps with all the rings, a series of burnt circles which have formed the odd geology of its sand-colored tail. I should like to sleep like a cat with all the fur of time, with the tongue rough of flint and the dry sex of fire, and after speaking to no one, stretch myself over the world, over roofs and landscapes, with a passionate desire to hunt rats in my dreams. I have seen how the cat asleep would undulate, how the night flowed through it like dark water, and at times it was going to fall or possibly plunge into the bare, deserted snowdrifts. Sometimes it grew so much in sleep like a tiger's great-grandfather, and it would leap in the darkness over rooftops, clouds, and volcanoes. Sleep, sleep, cat of the night, with epicostal ceremony and your stone-carved mustache. Take care all of our dreams. Control the obscurity of our slumbering prowess with your restless heart and the great ruff of your tail. Cat's Dream by Pablo Neruda Interesting one. I think I would like to sleep not like a cat, if that's how he thinks a cat sleeps. I want to sleep like my cat, because my cat, like, will flop over and be snoring. It's amazing. I, that's how my, there's no undulating like dark water in the night with my cat. Where do you get that kind of cat? My cat sleeps like an ass pressed up against a hip. That's how my cat sleeps. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> if ever two were one, then surely we. If ever men were loved by wife, than thee. If ever wife was happy in a man, compare with me, ye woman, if you can. I prize thy love more than the whole mines of gold, or all the riches that the east doth hold. My love is such that rivers cannot quench, nor aught but love from thee give recompense. Thy love is such that I can no way repay, the heavens reward thee manifold, I pray. Then while we live, and love, let's so persevere. Then we live no more, and may live ever. To my dear and loving husband, Anne Bradstreet. I'm just going to say, Bradstreet's a fucking great last name. I'm going to have to steal that for a character. It doesn't sound real. That's an amazing last name. Bradstreet, that's a great name. <clears throat> Mrs. Bradstreet would be a fucking bomb poster. Can't tell me otherwise. All right. <clears throat> Let me begin again as a speck of dust caught in the night wind sweeping out to sea. Let me begin this time knowing the world is salt water and dark clouds. The world is grinding and sighing all night, and dawn comes slowly and changes nothing. Let me go back to land after a lifetime of going nowhere this time lodged in the feathers of some scavenging goal, white above the black ship that docks and broods upon the oily waters of your harbor. 
This leaking freighter has brought a hold full of hay folks from Spain, great Jeroboams and dark Algerian wine, the quill pens that can't write English. The sailors have stumbled off towards the bars of the bright houses. The captain closes his log and falls asleep. One, ten, twenty-eight. Tonight I shall enter my life after being at sea for ages, quietly, in a hospital named for an automobile, the one child of millions of children who has flown alone by the stars above the black wastes of the moonless waters that stretched forever. Who has turned golden in the full sun of a new day? A tiny wise child who this time will love his life like it is no other. Let me begin again by Philip Levine. <clears throat> Sometimes she is like Sherry, like the sun through a vessel of glass, like light through an Orel window in a room of yellow wood. Sometimes she is the color of lions, of sand in the fire of noon, sometimes as bruised with shadows as the afternoon. Sometimes she moves like rivers, sometimes like trees, or tranced and fixed like South Pole silences. Sometimes she is beauty, sometimes fury, sometimes neither, sometimes nothing, drained of meaning, null as water. Sometimes when she makes pea soup or plays me Schumann, I love her one way, sometimes I love her another. More disturbing way with the chamomiles, sometimes with the parsley stalk. Sometimes I like her swimming in the mirror on the wall. Sometimes I don't like her at all. Polarities by Kenneth Slelser. S-L-E-S-S-O-R. Slelser is what I'm going to go with. Slelser, like the... That's what I'm going to go with. I'm not going to overthink it. <clears throat> beyond the cities I've seen, beyond the rack and din, there is a wide and fair demence where I have never been. Away from desert wastes of greed, over the peaks of pride, across the seas of mortal need, its citizens abide. And through the distance, though, I see how stern must be the fair. My feet are ever fain to be upon the journey there. In the light land, the only school the dwellers all attend is built upon the golden rule, and man to man is friend. No war is there, no war's distress, but truth and love's increase. It is a realm of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. A far country, Leslie Pin Plick Plickney Hill. Leslie Hill. A far country. I like it. I like it. <clears throat> I think this is our last poem. I hope you've been enjoying the poetry. I heard it on a breeze, felt it on a touch, 
whispered into my ear. You mouthed it into my skin. You traced it down my spine. I tasted it on your tongue, sun leaking through the window, resting on freckles, tangled up and half asleep. Moving bled, mornings bled to afternoons. Your hands would find mine. I would hear it in your sleep, heard it on a breath. You were somewhere far away, off in your own head. You thought of me there. Are you thinking of me now? Wherever you are, does my name rest on your lips? Untitled by Taylor King Lovely poems, and thank you to everybody who had one for us tonight. Appreciate it and you. We've got a couple of uh, love letters here. One thing of smut, and that's going to go ahead and close out the show. Are you disappointed that it's already ending so soon? I know. That means you need to come out to the next live one. You need to bring me some more requests. I'm reading everything I've got. I asked all day. I begged on my social media. I was on the server. Women came out. I even watched a movie earlier. That's why there's a ghost barking reference. Uh, All day. uh, Got more energy every Friday. Come on out. Bring something for me to read. I know if you're sitting there at home going, oh, my God, I waited so long for the podcast to come back. I want the tip shows to come back. This one's going to be so soon. I mean, listen to all the writing I did at the start. So you have to come out, bring a friend, bring a request. Okay. Here we go. On to love letter number one of three. My dearest Teresa. I have read this book in your garden, my love. You were absent, or else I could not have read it. It is a favorite book of yours, and the writer was a friend of mine. You will not understand these English words, and others will not understand them, which is the reason I have not scrawled them in Italian. But you well recognize the handwriting of him who passionately loved you, and you well divine that, over a book which was yours, He could only think of love. In that word, beautiful in all languages, but most so in yours, amor mio, is comprised the existence here and hereafter. I feel I exist here, and I feel I shall exist hereafter, to what purpose you will decide. My destiny rests with you. I love you, and you love me. At least you say so, and you act as if you did so, which at least is a great consolation in all events. But the more that I love you, I cannot cease to love you. Think of me, sometimes, when the Alps and ocean divide us, but they never will, unless you wish it. Lord Byron, to Teresa, I'm going to go with Guccicoli. <clears throat> oh, well, this one's very... I'll save that one for last. That's very interesting. I'll do this one next. Okay. <clears throat> I like it when you write to me. Maybe. I don't get exactly your meaning, but I like mine, like you liked your interpretation of drawings. It was such a surprise to me that you saw them. I'm so glad that they surprised you, that they gave you joy. 
I am glad I could give you what 291 has given me many times. You can only imagine how it all astonishes me. I've just been trying to express myself. I have nothing to say, you know. Words and I are not good friends at all, except for some people. When I close them and I can feel them as well and hear their response, I have to say it in some way. Last year, I went color mad, but I almost hated to think of color since the fall went. I've been slaving on the violin, trying to make that talk. I wish I could tell you some of the things I want to say as I felt them. The drawings don't count. It's the life that really counts. To say things that way may be a relief. It may be interesting to see how different people react to them. I'm glad that they said something to you. I think so much alone, work alone, am so much alone, but for the letters that I am not always sure I am thinking straight. It's great. I like it. The outdoors is wonderful, and I'm just now having time to think things I should have thought long ago. The uncertain feelings, some of my ideas may be near insanity, adds to the fun of it. And the prospect of really talking to live human beings again, sometime in the future, is great. Hibernating in South Carolina is an experience that I would not advise anyone to miss. The place is of so little consequence except for the outdoors, that one has a chance to give one's mind time and attention to anything one wishes. I can't tell you how sorry I am that I can't talk to you. What I've been thinking about surprises me so, has been such fun at times as hurt too, and that it'd be great to tell you. Some of the fields are green, very, very green, almost unbelievably green against the dark of the pine woods, and it's warm, the air feels warm and soft. And lovely. I wonder if Murren's Woolworth has spring fever again this year. I hope it has. Sincerely, Georgia O'Keeffe. I put in this envelope, stretched and laughed. It is so funny that I should write to you because I want to. I wonder if many people do. You see, I would go in and talk to you if I could, and I hate to be completely undone by a little thing like distance. Georgia O'Keeffe to Alfred, I'm going to go with Stieglitz. I don't know who Mr. Stieglitz is, unfortunately. That was very nice. Georgia O'Keeffe had such a had such an experience in South Carolina. I had no idea she did. All right, last love letter. A little sip of water first. <clears throat> Dear Marilyn, you asked me to write you a letter about tenderness. I'll try it. I'll write how I think and what I can. The most important thing is to write simply and honestly, and everything else will follow. So, about tenderness. Tenderness consists of two parts, of words and gestures. First, about the word. When people die, they remain words. Words of anger, words of love, words of envy, words of wisdom. Generally, we have no idea how many entities we have in the form of words. Words can kill. Words can be resurrected. Even the God we have is only some text. So God is also the word. 
The Bible itself begins with the words, In the beginning was the word. When people break up, they also, in a sense, die for each other, and then also remain only words. Nothing more, and often people remember the other person as only this, the words he once said, and suffer remember, and why things went wrong. There was a misunderstanding, and so things fell apart, and this is all it was, was words, words, words. But all of the billions of words, there is only one little category of words that never under any circumstances can't hurt. They can bring only happiness and joy. These are words of endearment. They can safely say all you want without fear of being misunderstood. They accurately and will always be gladly heard, but people are embarrassed to say them. Only after lengthy efforts in the struggle with themselves finally squeezed honey or sweetie. In the words of tenderness there is a kind of magic. They get stuck in the throat as if they are addressed to the wrong person. Sometimes, on the contrary, you can't stop it. They flow from you like a waterfall. You enjoy saying them. You want to invent new ones. Everything is softer and more tender still, and you caress her ear with these words. The more you say it, the more she wants to hear them. Among the words of tenderness, there is a very intimate word, the so-called R words. When people love each other, they come up with these words, R words. If a person takes some of R words and transfers them to another love, then he understands that this is committing an enormity. Our words are a very fragile thing. They speak not together. They are creepy, saccharine vulgarity, and when only to each other, that is the best word of affection to have in the world. This is important, Marilyn. It is very important not to speak to others of our words. I hope you understand that. And here I finally come to the conclusion. What is tenderness? The tenderness of Marilyn is when you say words of endearment, and even the best are words, and also make gestures of tenderness. And one to whom it is addressed does the same thing. That is the tenderness. Sometimes it is also called happiness. That's all. Yours, Arthur. Arthur Miller to Marilyn Monroe. I mean, great letter and all, but he never got to the actions, did he? Did I miss it? He discussed the words part. He said it's going to be words and actions. I don't remember the actions part. <laughs> All right, guys, tip jar going up one last time. Pay the man if you want to see more. If you want the live shows, then you got to give me more. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I would sing that, but I don't have the ability to sing right now. I'm in total broadcast mode. <clears throat> I, could be, I could be getting anything right now. I've just got word that my father died. I'm very, very torn up about it. Emotions are running high. Oh my God, I believe that that airplane's on fire. 
It's crashing down. Oh, the humanity. Just total broadcast mode. I get there, man. It happens sometimes. Oh, no. I stubbed my toe. Fuck. Ouch. Fuck. Ouch. Fuck. 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 Ouch. <laughs> I'm a woman who acts on impulse, probably more than is good for her. I become restless. The tension in my hand says, do something, make your life interesting, if just for a night. I ease it by wrapping my fingers around a martini glass, the handrail on a train, a warm cock. But this is one of the most impulsive things I've done in years. I look out the window of a train and onto an unfamiliar landscape as I speed towards a city I've never visited, never thought about visiting until a few days ago. I'm nervous, so nervous that I can't tell if the vibrations I feel deep inside myself are from the train or the adrenaline driving me forward. But this adrenaline feeds me. It makes me electric. <clears throat> In this new city, I can be anyone. Show him any part of me I want, or even a part I haven't yet shown myself. Him. I suppose that's another important part of the story. My first real crush back in high school, when I was so self-conscious I couldn't bring myself to look at him, speak to him, let alone do what I really wanted to do to him, get on my knees with his cock suspended hard above my waiting mouth, feel his rough big fingers thrust into my pussy, feel the weight of his body on mine as he works himself into me. Had I had the confidence, he would have been my first everything. That was years ago, and he was none of my firsts, and now I'm more experienced than my younger self could have imagined. Now I'm the one that reaches for a man's arm, the one that smiles easily and is quick to undress. Now I'm not afraid to get what I want. Which is really how I got into this situation in the first place. I made the first move for my young self, shy self, and because there was no more fear, nothing to lose, and everything to gain. I slid into his DMs after he liked a few of my 30 pictures on my Instagram. So when are you going to take me out? Back and forth, he lives in a different city, minor details, easily remedied. Then his message that really set me off. I've always found you overwhelmingly sexy. A modern love story, if ever there was one. We asked to come visit me. <clears throat> he asked me to come visit him for a three-day weekend on a night where my urge to shake up my life was particularly high. And now I'm getting off on this train, looking through the station for him, or who I imagine him to be. I get a text. Subway got stalled. I'll be there in 15. It's for the best. I need a moment to breathe. I find a secluded bench along the white marbled wall of the station and pull out my book as if I'm going to be able to focus, as if I can ignore my damp palms and bouncing knees. My phone buzzes with another text. I can't wait to see you. 
That makes me blush. I generally don't know what to expect with this man. I'm not even sure what he'll look like. I have pieces of what I remember from school, encounters that I tucked away in my mind to take out and treasure later, his deep voice rising above those of his friends, the way his eyes crinkled at the edges before he smiled. He was all man before I even realized that's what I wanted. A fucking man. A football player. A hunter. It took me a while before I figured out that my Texas roots influenced me more than I'd like to admit. Of course, I had my trepidations. What if he's boring? Or rude? What if we have nothing to talk about? What if he's fucking a Trump supporter? What if he's a fucking Trump supporter? What if there's simply no chemistry? But the pull of what could happen it's too strong. The best case scenario would be too fun. What if we can't talk, take our hands off each other? What if this is going to be for days of days of hot fucking and takeout? What if we don't even bother to put on clothes? That's why I had to say yes. That's why I'm sitting in this train station staring at a book and fantasizing about a man I've continued to come back to for nearly a decade. My reflections are cut short by the deep voice in the warm body next to me. What are you reading? My breath catches in my chest, and I turn and see him sitting there. His face inches from mine, and I'm so taken aback, I just manage to squeeze out a tiny little high. He laughs and stands up, towering over me. I take his outstretched hand, and he pulls me into a hug. I'm acutely aware of the past few months of sexy texts sitting imposingly between us, but I relax a little when I smell his cologne, feel his warmth underneath my hands. We pull apart, and he looks me over, his light blue eyes flicking across my face. It's really good to see you again. He says and brushes a lock of hair behind my ear. Are you ready for our weekend? He slings my bag over his shoulder and guides me through the station and out onto the busy street. <laughs> I am, but where are we going? I ask, giggling at the grin on his face when I realize it matches mine. I'm glad we both realize how crazy this is. I thought we might get a few drinks and get to know each other. Trust me, I think you'll like this place. He looks down at me, his eyebrow cocked, and after a pause, he takes my hand in his. I reluctantly tear my eyes away from him to navigate the crowded street, but he's as beautiful as I remember. Broad shoulders fill out a soft leather jacket. I glance down at his long legs to see a beat-up cowboy boots, which makes me smile. You can take the boy out of Texas. We stop suddenly in front of a nondescript metal door, which he holds open for me. After you. I step inside and push past a heavy black curtain. I'm standing on an iron walkway that looks down on a huge mahogany bar built into the floor below, where carved creatures stand guard over a mirror splotched with age. Two enormous chandeliers are hanging at eye level, their warm light glowing beneath a layer of soft dust. Stairs are the way down, darling. He laughs, watching my face as I gawk at the scene. I mouth at him, following carefully down the spindle staircase. A tall hostess waits at the bottom with a clipboard. Name? She asked brusquely. Brooks. 
She, tore, she turns on her heels and leads us through the crowd, push chairs and beautiful people lazily swirling their drinks. She waves her hand at only a pair of seats at the bar and stomps away. He pulls out a stool for me and sits on one himself, opening the small menu. What do you usually drink? He says, flipping through the pages. Anything? I say, uh, but tonight I'm thinking of Negroni. Perfect. He flags over the bartender and orders us two, and then turns to me. He takes my stool and drags it so that it's almost touching his, and I lean towards him. Where do I start? I ask as the bartender sets our drinks down. We cover the usual subjects in our first drink. We chat about high school, college, what we do now, what our friends are doing. Our voices rise over the sound of the bar so that it feels like we're the only two people in the room. As the second drink surges through me, I can tell he's feeling looser too. The smile comes more easily and his thumb traces circles on my thigh. Emboldened by the proximity of his citrus-scented mouth to mine, I say softly, I have to tell you something. My gaze lingers on his lips. I tense up at how delicious they look and imagine for the hundredth time how they would feel on my skin. What is it? His voice is even lower than mine. I've always wanted you to be my first, but I'm glad you weren't. His head tilts back a little, his big hand covering up a smile. Why is that? I think we'll have a lot more fun now. My hand grips on his upper thigh, and I lean closer so that my breath brushes on his ear. Is it okay if I'm a little submissive, Daddy? His eyes grow wide, and I can tell by the growing bulge in his pants that it's more than okay. He tosses some cash on the bar and leads me outside and into the night. We crash into his apartment, breathless from the climb up the stairs. He pushes me against the closed door, his mouth on mine, parting my lips as his tongue licks into me. His hand pulls my dress roughly over my head, and I feel a bra pop away from the ribs and fingers hooking around the band in my thong, letting it fall to the floor. I kick off my shoes, and he takes a step back. His teeth dig into my lower lip, and his eyes move over me, hovering over topped nipples. Neil, he says, pointing to the thick rug in front of a cushy couch. I obey, and he follows, sitting in front of me. He presses his first two fingers below my lips, and I suck them and moan as he grabs a fistful of hair at the nape of my neck firmly tilting my head back so that I look up at him. Put your hands behind your back. I do it, weaving my fingers together. I whine at how my pussy tingles when I see his cock pulsing through his pants. He's fighting back a smile. The lines around his eyes that I loved back in high school are deeper now. He pulls his fingers out of his mouth with a pop, but keeps the other hand knotted in my hair. His free hand glides over my throat gently between my breasts, over my quivering stomach, and pauses above my pussy. What do you want? He asks me. I have too many answers. I want your fingers in both my holes at once. I want your mouth working my clit. I want to ride your cock while I rub my pussy. I want you to fuck me from behind, spank my ass, pull my hair, make me come. I want you in every possible way that we can jam to in three days. I look him in his eyes and say, I want everything. 
He chuckles, releases my hair, and sits back thoughtfully. I take in the sight of him, the thick auburn beard, cut close to his sharp jawline, his strong hands folded steadily on his lap. Everything about this man screams, Fuck me, daddy. You're a greedy little thing, aren't you? He leans forward, puts his elbows on his knees so that his face is inches from mine. Don't move. He stands up, towering above me. He slowly starts to take off his clothes, teasing me as I quietly watch. He shrugs off his jacket and peels off the thin sweater underneath, revealing thick hair that spreads across his chest and trails down beneath his pants. His veins and his forearms are bulging and awake, and I can see the tendons moving as he works on his jeans. There's a crack that breaks the tense silence in his belt, and its silver buckle falls to the ground. Then his pants are off, and his cock is released, pulsing above my face. It's absolutely gorgeous, thick, curved towards the ceiling, my favorite. He takes a step towards me so that I can feel the heat off his skin. I'm gonna start somewhere, he says, reaching out to run his fingers along my parted lips. But it's my turn to tease. I've wanted this too long. I can wait a little longer. I smile, running my nails up his thighs, watching the goosebumps ripple across his skin. My breath traces along his shaft, and I let my lips touch him lightly. My tongue meets the crease of his skin where his thighs meet his hips, and I move my hands over his ass, his hips digging into his strong muscles. He moans through clenched teeth, and I look up to see his neck straight his head arched back in frustration. He opens his eyes when he realizes I've stopped moving and looks down at me. I lick my thumb and rub the head of his cock lazily, holding eye contact with him, challenging him to make a move. Groaning, growling, he reaches for me and pulls me up by my hair. So it's gonna be like that, huh? Our lips crash roughly into one another, fighting for dominance, but we both know I want him to win out. His mouth commands mine, and I finally let myself melt into him. He picks me up by the waist, wrapping me his thighs around him. I whimper when I feel the heat of him so close to my swollen putsy. He makes the dark bedroom walk look easy and tosses me onto the bed. Wait a second. He says. There's a hiss, and a smell of smoke fills the air as he lights candles all around the room. I want this to be a nice moment. He says almost bashfully, Come here. He lays down next to him, and I climb on top of him, bowing my head so that his lips brush his collarbone. That's fucking hot. I smile into the crook of his neck. He laughs and pulls me close to him. We lose ourselves in each other, kissing slowly at first. I breathe in the smell of him and run my fingers through his hair, trace his jaw, and his fingers press into my skin, down my back. Reaching into my pussy from behind, I sigh and lift his hips and give him a better angle. I want you to ride my face. He says, cupping my ass and bringing me up, I take hold of the iron-wrought headboard and oblige, grinding my sopping pussy into his open mouth. The candlelight dances over my hand and arms, and I look down at his closed eyes as he drinks my juices. I can't take it anymore. I need to fuck him. Please fill me up, Danny. 
I beg. He flips me onto my back and slips on a condom, and then pulls my arms above my head, pinning me by the wrists. His other hand strokes my face. Scream as loud as you fucking can, he growls and covers my mouth. At the same time, he pushes into me, and I cry out into his hand. With every thrust, his curved cock hits my most sensitive spot. Over and over. I lose track of how long we've been going until a white-hot fire rips through my torso and I squeeze my eyes shut so hard I feel tears seeping out the corners. Right as I release his grip on him, I feel him pump into me. He groans, freeing my mouth and hands and pulls me on top of him. I lay there as his heart rate slows to a steady beat. I look up at him and say, I hope you don't regret my visit. Why in God's name would I do that? He lifts his head to look at me, concern showing in his eyes. <laughs> we still have three days to kill. I don't plan on leaving this bed. And I'm not sure you have it in you. Oh, yeah. He murmurs, rolling on top of me. I laugh when I feel two of his fingers dip inside. Whew. High School Crush by Bridget Belserci, uh, or Bill Belserice, B-E-L-L-E-C-E-R-I-S-E, either Belserice or Belserci. We've got a couple from her before on the podcast. She writes pretty damn well. Thank you very much to whoever suggested her and that. Guys, that's the live show. You got extra money. You want to see more of me. You put that money in the tip jar. It was short, but it was hot. I made you laugh at me flipping off a homeless guy. So... Not everyone could do that. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So thank you, everybody, very much for coming out. I hope you had a good time. I hope you're having a great weekend. I hope you're enjoying it. If you're on the Patreon, if you're not on the Patreon, finally got that stuff figured out, so you should definitely give it a shot. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Everybody who requested something, everybody who came out, everybody, 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 appreciate all of you. Thank you very much. There will be music down below in the music room. I'll be joining there in just a second. Feel free to play anything. We love the tunes. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Really do appreciate all of you. Appreciate every last one of you. Okay, guys. All right. Thank you, guys. I'm going to jump off now. That's it. If you're listening at home, you got to come to a live show. That's what makes it longer. You come. You bring some friends. You put me on social media. You make some requests. We get back to two-hour-long live shows, but you got to do it. It takes a village. 